Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Was 2020 a year that financially you want to forget? The pressures of the pandemic forced people to focus on their finances like never before. 2019 was a big year for my wife and I. We got married in September of 2019. As we came into 2020, we completed on our home in March. The pandemic then came along and the pandemic really got us thinking about our finances, really got us thinking about, well, what would happen if one of us lost our jobs? As the new year dawns, my first Money Clinic guest has resolved to keep up that focus in 2021, but in a new and more positive way. It really focused us to think about building up an emergency fund, making sure we have a bit of surplus money available to us in the event that something bad happened. 32-year-old Londoner Toby hasn't always been brilliant with money, but he and his wife managed to clear all of their credit card debts under lockdown. Now that we've got the year behind us, what can we do with our money now to make sure it's working as hard for us as possible? And now, with some surplus cash to spare at the end of the month, Toby wanted to talk through what to prioritise in 2021. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. The new year is the perfect time to turn over a new leaf with your finances. I'm a total money geek, so I'm looking forward to settling down with my spreadsheets in January, and perhaps a mince pie, as I work out my priorities and budget for the year ahead. But what about Toby and his wife Siobhan? The couple's big achievement last year was buying their home. They've spent some money on improvements, but the lack of opportunity to spend money in 2020 means they haven't slipped back into debt. So the new year, 2021, this is the year you think that you and your wife are going to really get on top of your finances and get a plan together. What's on your list? We're building up an emergency fund at the moment, so we want to get that stockier and fuller. What do we do then at that point? Should we look to chuck more money at our mortgage because interest rates are low at the moment and look to sort of whittle that down as much as we can? This is quite a contrast from some of the couple's previous money habits. We were both quite bad with credit cards. It's easy to do and, and you sort of think, oh, I'll run up a bit of a balance and I'll chip away at it. But actually, it's just not a great idea. But we've managed to clear that and, and sort of move forward from there. I would say we're both, we can sometimes fall into sort of the impulse buying area. So what, what would you say your worst impulse buy was? Worst impulse buy? Um, I purchased a Burberry coat 
a few years ago, which has been worn probably three times. It's a Mac and it was about 400, 500 pounds. It's just not had an outing at all. And I often look at it in the cup and I think, what am I, why is this here? So, <laughs> As for the couple's best money habit, they're definitely good at talking about money, but I get the sense this is something Toby enjoys more than his wife does. Talking about money, it's a difficult one, isn't it? We've actually got a lot better at it. I think a few years ago, our finances were quite separate and we weren't particularly good with each other about telling telling one another whether we had an outstanding credit card balance, for example. We weren't that good at that. But I think now that we are married, we're pretty transparent with each other. I would say that I'm keener to talk about it than my wife. I think more because my wife is is getting tired of, of having different conversations about this. And that's probably why it puts her off. In the past year, both Toby and Siobhan have increased how much they pay into their company pension plans. And that means an extra matching contribution from their employers. Easy money. And now that they've bought a home, the couple's next significant life event is likely to be starting a family. We talk about starting a family. It's a a regular conversation that my wife and I have together. And, you know, we are right now, we wouldn't say we're quite ready for that step yet, but potentially towards the end of next year, there'll be something to think about. In fact, getting married and buying a home has already prompted Toby to take out a life insurance policy. I sort of thought, well, actually, you know, what if something did happen to myself and my wife? What if we wanted to make sure that we were being able to provide support to one another in the case of something terrible happening? If you're a homeowner, looking into this kind of insurance is a resolution you might want to make yourself. But I wonder, has super-organised Toby ticked off one very important financial task that around half of UK adults have neglected? Well, impressive, Toby, that you've thought about life insurance, but have you thought about making a will yet? We don't see the point in paying for a will now than in perhaps three, four years time having to pay for a brand new will and getting that updated. So I'm sort of leaning more on the side of that would be something I would look to do once we set a family up. But I could be completely wrong and perhaps a better financial plan would be to have a will in place regardless of, of any of that. To sum up, what are Toby's financial goals for 2021? It's the new year. We have some disposable income that we would like to put towards some investments and I'm interested to find out a bit more from your experts as to what sorts of tips they give us to putting that money into. Should we be looking to overpay our mortgage with rates very low at the moment or should we keep it as it is and look to contribute more to our pension? And finally, it's just my wife and I at the moment, we don't have any children. Should we be looking to set up a will and going down that path or should we wait until we've started to have a family? Well, let's turn to my first source of guidance for Toby, millennial money expert Ken Okororafor. Now, at the age of 37, he is mortgage-free and debt-free. His website, The Humble Penny, details how he and his wife transform their own family finances. Ken's noticed how many more people are resolving to sort out their finances this new year. So, I think that's come from the fact that this year we all pretty much had a bit of a reset. So the average savings rate for UK households rocketed because we essentially had the opportunity to not spend money, but to just spend time reflecting essentially upon what we do with that money. So I think a lot of people are now saying to themselves, well, actually, I quite like seeing more of my money every month. And I now want to make much better decisions around how I want my finances to look in the future going forwards. 
To help all of us achieve our money goals in 2021, I asked Ken for top tips that anyone could resolve to accomplish in the new year, including Toby and Siobhan. I would say put in place a money day. It's a fun way for couples to really engage with money in a different way in their households, but also really just understand what's going on in their financial lives. Just call it a money date in your diary. Next, I would say set yourself a specific income goal. So typically we are focusing on our net income and how we're going to budget that and you know save it or pay off some debts. But often couples don't really focus on, well, actually, how can we increase the income we're making? Because increasing our income is key to helping us achieve our goals a lot faster. So that could be that you might start a side hustle or use your passions and talents in a very different way to help you achieve those goals quicker. Next, I would say, focus on really tracking your expenses. And as we all get into a new year, for example, many people might find themselves really falling back on those bad habits and maybe spending a lot more than they might ordinarily spend. So really focus on keeping track of what you're spending and getting that integrated into that money day that I mentioned earlier. I really love that idea of having a money day. And I think that having a fixed date in the diary could perhaps really help Toby and Siobhan because I don't know about you, Ken, but I sort of picked up from Toby's side of the conversation that maybe his wife isn't quite so keen on talking about financial planning and different products all the time. Yeah, I think that's a a very good observation because it's absolutely critical, especially as they're, they're a married couple, that they're both in the driving seat together when it comes to their finances. So Ken has this regular money date with his wife. And you know what? I've resolved to start having them with my husband too. So I typically have it on the first day of each month with my wife. We have it as a recurring appointment. And we try to make it fun, you know, make yourself a cup of tea, have some biscuits or whatever. But the benefit of doing this is that it really helps to almost introduce a culture of talking openly about money in the household. It also helps to improve relationships with money, which is one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people essentially have trouble with their finances. It's just that their relationship with money is not where it needs to be. Which brings me on to what Toby and Siobhan might discuss at their first money day top of the list was what they should do with their extra cash now their building work has finished. I asked Ken about the trade-off that many face between overpaying the mortgage or saving more money into pensions. Just start by looking at what the pros and cons are of each each direction. So pensions, we know from looking at the, the background of Toby and Siobhan that they're higher taxpayers and it's to their advantage to make more pension contributions because it works out to be a lot better for them in a much longer term horizon. But a challenge they have is that they have no access to that money, essentially no liquidity until they are at the age of 55 based on current rules. And of course, they, they get taxed later on on that money. A more flexible route in the UK is investing via a product called a stocks and shares ISA. You can access the money in those anytime. But unlike a pension, you don't have the advantages of tax relief or matched contributions from your employer. In the US, you could investigate IRAs, individual retirement accounts, but the clue's in the name as you can't access the money until later in life. But what about overpaying the mortgage? Looking at pros and cons, you're getting a guaranteed return up front from the interest savings that you get. You also have a 
a form of a mental freedom when you pay off your mortgage a lot faster than most people do. And it helps you achieve much more longer term goals. For example, say they wanted to retire early at one day or perhaps pursue a level of financial independence in their lives. Ken's a dab hand with a calculator, so he works out the impact overpaying the mortgage could have. And it might surprise you. Okay, so firstly, let's say Toby and Siobhan overpaid by £300 as a hypothetical example. At their current level of interest, which is 1.6%, and let's say their mortgage is over 25 years, what that would do for that mortgage is that it would save them 4.5 years on that mortgage. And so over the term of the mortgage, they would save about £17,000 in interest at 1.6%. So that overpayment, no matter how small, really is powerful. To work out the best options in the short term, Ken stresses our couple, and those of you listening at home, need to spend time thinking about long-term goals. If you dared to dream together, what might you hope to achieve in the next five to ten years? Then start to put some numbers around your dreams. I wanted to go off and maybe run my own business and things like that. But the thing about that decision is that it really then changes what you might prioritise in terms of where your money goes. So say, well, actually, the priority for us, because I didn't have my employer matching my pension contributions was to focus on maximizing my ISA contributions. But in addition to that, doing extracurricular things, side hustles and things that meant that I made some extra money that then helped with overpayments on the mortgage. So we then eventually paid off the mortgage in seven years, just a bit over seven years, which then meant that our expenses dropped rapidly. And for us to explore something else, if I wanted to different career or pursue my own business, the risk is now much lower because we have no housing costs to think about. But you know, these decisions are not mutually exclusive, as in you, know, you can only invest in your pension or versus investing in your mortgage. You can do both. Well, Ken, the final thing I want to talk to you about is babies. Now, <laughs> <laughs> you're a dad, I can see. It's lo- lovely pictures of your family on your website, thehumblepenny.com. Thank you. Now, Toby and Siobhan, they're 32. They're intending to start trying for a family in the next 12 months or so. What advice financially would you give to couples who are thinking, okay, our New Year's resolution is that we're we're going to start the family this year? Okay, so I think it's a very emotional thing having children. And that's very exciting. But you've got to really like be honest with yourself and say, what does it really mean for our lives financially? Because it will definitely change your lives in a, in a big way. I mean, <laughs> my wife and I really geeked out and created a spreadsheet to really just, just plan ahead and start deciding how much of our, our net income we should put towards saving for a child. On the numbers side, it pays to find out what your company's maternity and parental leave policies are. Can you afford to keep paying into your pension while you're on leave and getting those matched contributions? And what's the cost of childcare in your area? In London, private nursery care can cost £85 a day or more. In some parts of New York, it can be even higher, more like $150 per day. You might also want to consider what impact working part-time would have on your wider financial plans. Plenty of material there, for your first money day of the new year. My top tip here is, again, start to talk about the money side of having children rather than just talking about how beautiful and how amazing it would be to have a child. 
one of the things that Toby and Siobhan are putting off until they have children is making a will. But is that a good idea? My next expert, Dan Garrett, is the co-founder and chief executive of Fair Will, the online will writing service that's currently being used for around one in 10 wills written in the UK. Dan, why do so many people not make a will? There's a couple of reasons behind it. We're kind of psychologically hardwired to think that we're not going to die. So it feels like it's never the day to do it. And then there's also the assumption that it is this gigantic palaver. You know, when you think about wills or you start talking to someone about it, the picture that pops into your head is you're sat in front of a lawyer and they've got bookshelves of leather bound stuff behind them and it's going to cost you 500 pounds to get it done. And the reality is, is that the industry has moved on so far in the last couple of years. It really is the case that you can do it now for a really affordable price online in 15 or 20 minutes. And this new year, you may very well be resolving to get around to writing a will yourself. The new year as well in January tends to be one of the biggest will writing months of the year. You know what I think it is? I think it's over Christmas. Everyone's watching like Miss Marple and Poirot on the telly. And there's always a plot involving a will. That's always why they die, isn't it? Because the will's about to be changed. I mean, it's definitely, definitely a kind of running theme throughout all of great English literature is kind of in one way or another related to inheritance. There can be pretty dramatic consequences for your family if you die intestate. That's without a valid will, which is why Dan says Toby and Siobhan shouldn't put it off. It's a really common thing that we hear is, oh, I won't make my will now because something's going to change in the next year. And the fact is that kind of objection for doing it remains true throughout your whole life. It's a classic one as well to say, we're going to have a child, so we'll wait until we've had the kid. I guarantee when you've had a kid, you've got bigger things on your mind. People spend so much time thinking about other areas of their financial lives, changing energy providers to save 100 quid or getting a new bank account. The single largest financial event of your life for everyone is when you die, yet it gets relatively so little attention. So I'd say it is within your power to deal with it and it can be very simply done. So we heard Toby say there, well, me and Siobhan, we're married We own a property together, but there's no urgency for us to make a will because of that, because she'll get it anyway if I get run over by a bus. Is that strictly true? It's definitely true when it comes to the property. So if you're married, then Siobhan would inherit the whole thing at once or vice versa. The complicated thing when you're that kind of age is most people tend to have lots of different financial assets. So you might have pensions, you might have bank accounts, and what can happen after someone dies, is it can be an enormous palaver to go through the process of cataloguing where they all are. There have been estimations that on average, having a will, even for a couple like this, might have a relatively simple estate and they own a property together, it can save about £10,000 in costs for dealing with the estate and in lost assets when someone dies. I'd echo that advice. And yes, before you ask, I have made a will myself. One of the trickiest things I found was choosing two executors friends or family members who will sort out your estate after you have died. So on one end of the spectrum, you can appoint a sole executor that might be a friend or a brother. For what it's worth, I didn't appoint a legal firm as one of my executors because they can charge frankly astronomical fees. Instead, I've done a deal with two financially savvy friends. They are the executors on my will, and I'm an executor on both of theirs. 
Over the years, Dan has seen firsthand what can happen if cohabiting couples who are not married or in a civil partnership die without having a valid, up-to-date will. Regular listeners of Money Clinic will remember this issue. A couple might have lived together for 30 years, might even have children together, and there's this assumption that common law marriage exists and that you'll be entitled to your partner's estate when you die. And then it can be the, you know, an estranged parent of the, the half the couple who's died ends up inheriting everything. You know, people will have to sell houses, have to move, have to take their kids out of school. So it can be hugely destructive. Not having life insurance is another nightmare scenario. Dan's impressed that Toby and Siobhan have already thought about this. Something that's quite common, you'll have an outstanding mortgage on a home It could be the breadwinner that dies, for instance, and maybe without a life insurance policy or death in service. And suddenly you can find yourself in a completely different financial situation, unable to pay the mortgage and without the breadwinner there as well. So terrible things can happen when you don't plan properly. Well, if that doesn't inspire you to tick these things off your financial to-do list in 2021, I don't know what will. But first, let's hear Toby's reaction to what our experts had to say. I think the first thing we're going to be doing is I'll be sitting down and talking to Siobhan about setting up the the money day, the money date, whatever we wish to call it, and having a bit of structure around talking about our finances once a month. It's a great idea and it's so simple. Brilliant. I think it's a great, a great resolution to aim for. I may even do it myself. Toby was also impressed with how much he could save if he upped his mortgage payments every month. I definitely sit in the camp of I'd rather look to pay down the mortgage as much as we can uh, and throw more money at it so we have more cash to invest later on. And it was fascinating to hear how by just overpaying by £300 per month, we could knock off four and a half years on on the current mortgage we have. On on that basis, we're going to look at what we're contributing currently to our pension and perhaps to other things and look to put more money towards our mortgage if we can find a common ground there. So that's the first money day sorted. But what might the couple discuss with the next ones? We're also going to be thinking about uh, and talking about uh, our plans for maybe starting a family in the next 12 to 18 months. So what sort of money needs to be put away so we can support that? Uh, And then the final thing we'll be looking at is on the will side of things, we will definitely move forward to set up a will. And don't forget, because for one reason it might make Siobhan buy in to your monthly meeting a bit more, you can have some space in your budget for going out and having fun when fun is indeed again allowed. (laughs) Yes, you're quite right. We still want to make sure we we enjoy our social life and we can have a good time doing that. And uh, we'll definitely make sure that there is uh, a bit of surplus income so we can do that as well. That's nearly it from Money Clinic this week. If you're itching to get your finances fixed in the new year, have I got news for you. I've asked a host of financial podcasters to share their New Year's money resolutions with us, covering investing, saving, side hustling, and much, much more. You can read tips from me, former FT editor Lionel Barber, columnists Meryn Somerset-Webb and Tim Harford, Paul Lewis of Moneybox Frame, Suby Brakes from Seven Figures, Bola Shakumbi from Clever Girl Finance, and smooth-talking Chris Browning, the voice behind America's popcorn finance podcast. To read the feature, go online now, ft.com slash money. Follow the link in the show notes or from the Financial Times Twitter and Instagram accounts. Or buy the FT Weekend newspaper on sale Saturday the 2nd of January. 
And don't forget to tell us what your own New Year's financial resolution is going to be. On social, use the hashtag MoneyClinic, or you can email us, our address, money at ft.com. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love and Josh Delamere. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and our editor is Amy Keane. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just so you know, Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you in the new year. We're back to our regular schedule on January the 12th. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.